right? And I, I really think that the jiu-jitsu community and the, the crossfit community kind of, they have the same uh, mentality and they have the same principles where it's like, we work hard, we play hard, and the underlying thing isn't to be the best at jiu-jitsu or the best at CrossFit, it's to be a really good person and to go do good in the world. Hello everyone, and welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. I'm your host, Gene Reed. That quote you just heard was our guest for episode number 11, Mr. Steve Bart, who is part owner of CrossFit Reconstructed in Delaware. He's a CrossFit athlete, and he holds a leadership role within the Delaware Army National Guard. Had a great time talking with Steve today. You know, we talked about leadership, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition, sleep. We really touched on a lot of topics, but I really connected with Steve in this one because he's trying to not only improve himself physically, but he's really trying to improve others, right? He does that through coaching at his gym, but he also does that through his leadership roles with the Delaware Army National Guard. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. And I will say this, Steve has an event coming up called Rumble at the Rudder. This event is an athletic competition on July 17th, 2021. And part of that is a fundraiser for the Green Beret Project. Now, Steve and I talk about this in the episode, but the Green Beret Project is a mentoring program geared towards at-risk children within communities. It gives them an opportunity. It gives them life experiences that they otherwise might not have had. So if you have social media, I'll make sure there's a link on there so you guys can consider donating. I highly encourage it. I really took some time to actually research Green Beret Project. The stuff that they're doing really is at the root of what mentoring is, and they're really going out there and making a difference. So if you don't have social media, Google it, Rumble at the Rudder. It's in Delaware, Green Beret Project. Please consider donating. And as always, if you learn something, share something. All right, we're gonna. You got to hit the head or anything? Now I'm good. I'm. I think I'm a little dehydrated. That's why I put a little uh, <laughs> liquid IV in the water. So I use uh, Himalayan sea salt. Mm. I've been doing that like for a long time. Makes a huge difference. It really does. So, for, so for this um, hydro jug, seventy-two ounces. I put a quarter of a teaspoon, and it seems to work. Yeah, like it doesn't. I used to overhydrate, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. I used to get to a point where my pee was just totally clear, and I think I was just depleting electrolytes. And yeah. And then I finally started to figure out, and I was always like anti, not anti-sugar, but I never did the Gatorade thing. Um, now they have Gatorade Zero, but somebody turned me on to Himalayan sea salt, which does the job. Yeah. And I mean, dehydration is a huge crusher of most of the stuff we do. So Yeah. Um, the liquid IV is just, it's just salt electrolytes. And I try to do maybe one every day. I do something where I'm like profusely sweating Yep. because that I can't recover from it. Yeah. I can't drink enough water to feel better. And then you get to the point, like you said, where you, you're overhydrated again. Oh yeah. So. You have any kids? I don't. Just so, a dog. Uh, well, close enough. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, she's never been like sick to the point where I have to give her Pedialyte. She's not even two yet, but they make Pedialyte in the powder forms. So you can, yeah. pour I was doing that for a while, actually. Yeah, that's not bad either. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of the athletes I work with uh, and some of my buddies, they use just like scoops of electrolyte powder and it, you know, it, it kind of helps us out because the, the training that we're doing, usually there's like a long monostructural piece where it's rowing, biking, running, skiing, 
and then it's some kind of a CrossFit mixed modal stuff, yeah. maybe weightlifting, maybe another one. So like that 90 minute to two hour window is. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're not going to last very long if you're not, if you're not replenishing something at some point. Yeah. Nutrition should be the base of the, everybody's pyramid. Yeah. Um, let, let's do this to get you started off here. When people ask you like, Hey Steve, what do you do? I mean, you got a lot of different things going on. Like you're an athlete, you're in the military, you get, you run a gym where like, what do you, it's going to sound silly. What do you kind of identify with the most right now in your life? Um, so I love the word, uh, leader. I like, I like trying to be a leader in, in most aspects, whether it be coaching, uh, running the program I run with the, the military, um, or even training, training the dog, uh, whatever it is. Uh, but I've been wearing an athlete hat recently and I really enjoy competing. I enjoy, uh, suffering and training. I enjoy training itself. I enjoy the progressions of training. So I think athlete coach leader, uh, and soon to be husband in a, in a little bit. So I'm trying to learn more Congrats, about nice. what it's like to be in a, in a marriage and, you know, how to make that work, uh, the same way I've made other things work into my life. So I know that's going to be a new struggle and a new challenge as well. A lot of compromises. Just listen, my wife's phenomenal. I'm not just saying that, but I'll give you like my day today, right? We have two kids now. We have a, basically he's eight weeks old, an eight week old and a 20 month old. I got to wake up, go train jujitsu, record a podcast and she's, you know, doing her thing. So yeah. that's, you know, it, I hope you found somebody special cause yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Very Shout nice. out Becky. <laughs> Talk to me about the fitness, right? So you just said a lot, right? Where you enjoy the suffering you enjoy the evolution of getting better and all, where did all that come from? Like, when did that start for you? Um, so Basically, growing up, I you know I'll just flash forward to, to high school. I I wrestled in high school. I was a middle of the pack wrestler. Nothing to write home about. Um, you know, never really did too much with a wrestling career in high school. And then I did my best to go to college. And while I tried pretty hard in college, I'm just not a good student. So, aka, I just didn't apply myself well. But I went to college for about a year and a half at Monmouth University. And then I decided that college just wasn't for me. It's very expensive and I'm just sucking at it. So I need to get out of there. Um, and then one night I had dinner with a buddy and his dad and a now re uh, retired Colonel Caton from the Delaware Guard. And they sat me down and showed me the benefits of the Delaware National Guard. So I was like, you know what? My, you know, I don't really have anything else going. Why don't I dive into this and see what happens? And when I went through boot camp, uh, one of the drill instructors was a really big CrossFit guy. And I didn't know at the time. So he'd have us do these workouts where we're doing pull-ups, we're running around our building. Uh, we're going out to the parade field and doing bear crawls and carrying rocks and going nuts. And what year was this? This is 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, he kind of got me into the, the, the grueling training. He, he kind of said something to me that, always stuck with me is like, you just got to learn to enjoy and embrace these things because it's never really going to get easier. And the more that you can enjoy and embrace, uh, you know, the hardships and the suffering, it's going to help you, uh, throughout your career in the military. And then, you know, when you end up getting out, it's going to help you there too. Yeah. It's so a I big turnoff for a lot of people. Cause I've actually made that mistake and just talking to my wife about fitness. And I think I said that at one point, like early in our relationship, I was like, it never gets easier. Because no. you just continue pushing yourself, 
when it does get easy, that's that's a cool point to be at. It's like, wow, I, I used to really struggle with this. Now it's easy. Well, now you just pick another point in the future yeah. and it never really gets easier. It actually turned her off a little bit. I think it does turn some people it off does, to think about sure. that. Yeah, it does. And I, I see it all the time uh, between civilians and soldiers. They'll come in, they'll get crushed by one workout and then they'll be defeated. And they're like, yeah, this isn't for me. And um, it could just be that their first impression wasn't what it should have been, which is a little more low key. Like, let's start you out on level zero. Let's see how you do there. And then we'll take a step forward into level 0 0.01 and go from there instead Absolutely. of jumping to, to round five. And, you know, yeah. it's tough because people get locked into, I need to be here and, you know, it's going to take me X amount of work to get to this instead of just falling in love with doing the thing every day that's going to help you get to that point. Because like people say it all the time, but the process is way more important than the goal. Yeah, absolutely. So did you, I, I'm ignorant, not ignorant to CrossFit, but like when did CrossFit start actually becoming affiliate gyms popping up and all that? Was it around that time, 2008? No, or? it was way before that actually. So there's a couple journal articles, the CrossFit Journal published in back in 2002, 2001. And uh, Greg Glassman, the old CEO of CrossFit, he kicked it off back in probably the early 2000s to late uh, 90s is probably when he started doing about a bunch of that stuff. Uh, but then it started kicking off around 2010, I think was probably like one of the booming uh, pieces to CrossFit because they introduced, uh, they were at like year three or four of the CrossFit game. So they made it a little more uh, accessible to everybody with the, with the worldwide open. So they brought the open in and the open kind of started, starts at affiliates. So people got a taste of that. And then 2013 through 15 was kind of like the golden year so far of the CrossFit game slash uh, affiliate ownership, affiliate ownership increasing uh, throughout the, the country and the world, really. And then there was a little dip, obviously, recently with uh, the 2020 events. And he stepped down as CEO because of uh, some some remarks he made. Uh, they ended up having a, a new CEO come in, and now it looks like it's back on the upward trend so I, as an affiliate owner, I'm hopeful that the culture of fitness and CrossFit is going to be trending upward in the next few years. And the way that they are making it more accessible to people should be, um, you know, something to be, to be happy about if you are an affiliate owner. Yeah. Are you familiar with OPEX at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Fitzgerald. Yeah. So it's funny cause he won the first yep. CrossFit games. Yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine was certified through OPEX. Him and I used to uh, be police officers down the shore together when we first started out. He, he's doing. He's actually out in um, Nevada now, going to medical school. But I got hooked up with him. He coached me for about three years doing the Ironman stuff and all that. Um, but it's funny if you go back and watch the first CrossFit games on the ranch. Even something simple as like a snatch, right? I mean, they were like one thirty-five was. Yeah, they were basically maxing out there to see the progression of where that the athlete has come to now i mean it's just like well it yeah. just shows you kind of what the human human body's capable of yeah the human performance aspect that that crossfit's introduced into weightlifting uh you know any kind of conditioning work is crazier than we've ever seen at least in the last 20 years uh because you know back in the 80s 90s big bodybuilding trend and there wasn't really a focus on mixed modal training or functional fitness mm -hmm. And then we started seeing the benefits to our first responders, to our soldiers. Yep. And we were like, well, why can't we just transfer this to civilians? Because 
the health benefits are unbelievable. Uh, if you do train at this capacity the right way, of course, um, the health benefits are even more important than performance aspects, yeah. right? They kind of go hand in hand. Yep. I know I'm name dropping a lot. Do you know a guy named Stu Smith? Yeah. Uh, the Navy SEAL. Yep. yep. Used to be a Navy, or former Navy SEAL. And I yeah. don't know what the proper thing with that is. I don't know if you say former Navy SEAL, if they're always a Navy SEAL. Yeah. You know, I don't know. No. But so when I was in Maryland State Police's Academy, Stu's from Maryland and he trains guys out of Maryland. Well, he came a couple of times and That's I recently awesome. reached back out to him because I bought a couple of his books, but he was kind of doing that mixed modal stuff like real early on. And something cool that he does is he has, I forget what he calls it. It's basically like seasonal training where every 12 to 16 weeks, you're kind of switching things up. Yeah. So you're never really getting burnt out. It's, hey, this 12, 16 weeks, we're going to focus on strength. Then we're going to get more into like just PT stuff. And it, it was an interesting concept, but he's still crushing it, man. Yeah. I mean, I think he's mid forties, maybe almost 50, but he trains people for free. I know. And that's that, awesome. It is awesome. That is awesome. It gets a ton of guys showing up. Those early adapters like like Stu, he uh, he was kind of a pioneer in the aspect of I'm going to see what the human body is capable of and I'm going to train it more and more and more because, you know, the rigors of buds or any kind of selection school or, you know, try out, whatever you want to do, it, those things are going to be tough and you're going to be faced with challenges that I don't care who you are or what, you know, where you're at with your ego, it's going to get crushed at some point. Yeah. And um, – I think the way that they were training uh, so early, they were kind of, uh, you know, transforming not only the, the bodies and the, the performance aspect and physicality of the, those soldiers and, and civilians, but their minds were changing so much that they were going into this training and they were able to just dominate it, yep. uh, for lack of a better term, from how their predecessors were doing it, yeah, right? absolutely. I think the, and part of the reason is that you know, if you get your body to such a high level of fitness in that mixed motor region where you can really do anything, you only have to tap into your mental toughness early. Eventually you will, but it delays that part where you have to tap into mental toughness because, you know, if you're just crushing everything and those four mile timed runs and all that kind of stuff they do, if, if you're just kind of like breezing through that, it's like, okay. Yeah. And the mental toughness, I'm glad you said something about that. Um, Everybody speaks about mental toughness as something that we do and develop through training. I think training makes us stronger, you know, physically and of course mentally, but mental toughness is something as simple as being disciplined to go to bed at eight o'clock and wake up at four and to hit your training every single day or to, if you know, you got to read pages of a book, like that discipline is going to make you more mentally tough because you know that you stick to your guns, you know, when, when things start going rough. And then when you do have a situation, you know, whether it be training or combat or whatever, you can revert back to your, your quote unquote training and have all of these different experiences, not only from physical training, but from the mental aspect too. And I think that's where the mental toughness aspect, um, kind of evolves if, if you will, into, you know, making somebody a little more mentally tough. Yeah, absolutely. Let me see this. So back to like boot camp, right? You start getting into this mixed modal stuff. You're doing a lot. Of, did did you stick with that from that point on, or did you kind of go back to other types of fitness? And then, like, did you just really start honing in on that? So from then until now, uh, I think I've done almost everything. Um, 
you know, I've, I've competed in CrossFit. I've competed in, uh, army competitions, triathlons. I've, I've really tried to do as much as I could. Every, everything short of like a bodybuilding show, just because yeah. I, I personally never had any interest in eating that way. Cause I like cookies and <laughs> stuff like that. But, um, you know, when I first got back, uh, I ended up joining, uh, CrossFit Riverfront at, with one of my buddies cause he was going there. And then the coach at that time, uh, Joey Riccardi, this guy, uh, you know, he was a ranger. Um, he had just gotten off active duty and he was so inspiring to me that I wanted to be, you know, he was somebody I emulated and I really wanted to tap into what he could, you know, give to me as a person so I could take that knowledge and, and that expertise and pass it on to more people. So I always, uh, you know, I always credit Joey because I think he kind of taught me the right way to do it. And knowing what I know now that a lot of people never got that experience because there are a lot of people doing it the wrong way. Yep. Um, but I think, uh, you know, from that point until until now, I've definitely had like a love-hate relationship with CrossFit. And I've had moments where I'm like, this is not what I should be doing. Um, this is not what people should be doing. And then I go back and I research more and I find out that that's wrong. And this is probably the best training program for most people. Um, and having done all the other modalities, you know, whether it be triathlon or just straight running events, I can say that those have gaping holes and there are, you know, there are limits to those sports for the everyday athlete. Whereas if you come into this kind of training program, you're always working on something. So you're always trying to plug holes in your fitness. And I think that's, what's going to make you, you know, a little more well-rounded and what we want in real life is to be the most well-rounded person we can be. So when everything goes to shit it's kind of like you know you can fall back on your training and not have to worry about rising to the level of whatever's happening to you yeah absolutely uh when did you get certified as an official coach um so i think i just redid my level two there's so there's four levels to crossfit it's level one two three four uh level three is a written test level four is like the people that teach you uh like the crossfit certified uh trainers so I never really went past level two. I, I signed up for the test and I just, I think one thing happened after another and I just never ended up doing it. Yeah. And um, so I redid my level two twice and I think you research every five years. So if I just redid it last year, I am five years removed. So another 10 years and then three or four years before that is when I got my uh, level one. So it was probably right around the 2000, right when I got back from boot camp, I guess, 2009, uh, 2010 probably had it for about 11 years now so were you coaching at the riverfront yeah i was coaching the riverfront um i didn't actually start coaching there so i was a member there for a while and then uh i started coaching there after we got home from afghanistan and at the end of 2013 so i reached out to the owner said hey i want to coach do you have any coaching positions she was like no and i said well i'm coming to coach anyway so like (laughs) make some room so yeah that's kind of where i started crossfit coaching but uh, way before that, I was doing, you know, personal training uh, at Total Fitness on Governor Prince. Um, and then at Plexus, which is now Core 10 in the city of Wilmington, I kind of bopped them, you know, back and forth between those two spots until I found coaching with the with the Riverfront. So fitness has always been your day job. More yeah, or actually, less. yeah. Yeah. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jeff Sendek, do you know him? He brought your name up. Of course. Up. Yeah. yeah. Good to, great dude. Him and I worked in Homicide together for a few years. Um yeah, he said you were a great coach. That's awesome. Thanks, and, Jeff. Uh, 
what is your i guess it's just like anything else i'm sure every coach has their different style and stuff what was it can you articulate like what your style was like as a coach yeah so um i guess i i kind of go off of my mood sometimes but i i don't like to give people um you know what they think they want i try to give them what i know that they should be doing um that sounds kind of pompous and saying like i know it all it's not what i'm saying but Basically, you as a as a coach, you need to be able to look at the person and understand multiple different variables that could be happening with them at that second. So that that moment, the workouts, front squats, but you know maybe a couple months ago they ran a triathlon or a marathon and they're a little banged up and you know their knees aren't too, feeling too hot. So being able to adjust to each athlete on the fly uh, makes makes you a more versatile coach. But also having the athletes that that need coddling and they need a little more inspiration or motivation to get in the gym. So a couple side texts here and there, uh, or you know the the people that are trying to go into elite level uh, sports. Like I have one kid who was um, going to the Coast Guard Academy and he wanted to be top of his class. So I'm like, okay, well you're 17, dog. Like you need to train a little harder than Janice, who's in the corner. Uh, you know, practicing double unders. Mm-hmm. So knowing your athletes and knowing your your audience and then being able to have wide ranges uh to give instruction and cues to each one and knowing when to pull away because there's some people that don't do well with the hurry up you know get back on the bar kind of deal there's some people that just need coaching in the beginning they need to go execute and then you need to have like a debrief or an aar after the fact and i think that's how they develop so being in the the spot that i've been in for so long I never knew all of that. I'm just finally tapping into understanding that a lot of people are different and being able to have that wide range, I think has made me, you know, in Jeff's words, a pretty good coach. Dude, I mean, what you just uh, articulate is basically situational leadership, right? It's literally knowing your people, knowing what they need, what they don't need, knowing what their uh, skills and capabilities are and adjusting your actions to meet that. Yeah. Right. So what's your position in the guard? Are you in a leadership position? Yeah. So last week I got a U5. So that's I'm, I'm an E6 um, in the Delaware Guard in the 153rd MP company. And um, U5 is a fancy term for slid into a position. So I went from <laughs> squad leader to a platoon sergeant now. Um, so I'll be transitioning to a platoon sergeant role. So I'm going from, you know, 14 soldiers to now about 30, 35. Wow. Uh, it's a pretty big jump in leadership. It's definitely like a coveted position. Uh, especially in a line platoon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the leaders that I've had that helped me get to that that spot because I never thought as 21-year-old asshole Steve walking into the armory, skipping drill weekends, that I would ever be yeah. the guy leading the formation. So it's really, really cool. Yeah. Have you been to any leadership schools or anything? Like, do they send you guys to stuff? So in the in the military, they have like a step program. You go through um, a couple of what they call NCOESs. So it's a non-commissioned officer um, enlisted school system. And you go through BLC, basic leader course, ALC, advanced leader course, SLC, senior leader course, MLC, master leader course, and then maybe start major academy if you, you know, you've been in long enough. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to SLC this year. Uh, and in my position, I have about a year s- and since I was put in that position to go to the school and complete it. Um, along with that, though, I've, I'm actually in Leadership Delaware. Uh, oh, it's a yeah, program. that's where you are. I thought yeah. I saw your face in. Uh, Ange- uh, Lieutenant Angie Dolan's in there. Yep. Yeah, me and Angie yep. do it together. It's awesome. But we have 17, 17 fellows in that class, and that course kind of gives me the 
you know, I did, we have had a couple of military leaders come talk to us, but all of the people that are in charge of everything in the state come and talk to you for two days a month. We're at, you know, we're going into our May sessions now and I've, my mind is just blown learning yeah. everything behind the curtain. So I've definitely been exposed to a lot more leadership over the past few years. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought, because I saw actually uh, Angie was away and she had uh, some type of pamphlet on her desk and I was flipping through. I was like, oh, I know that guy. And I saw your face on there. So yeah. that, that's how it works. It's two days, what did you say, two days a month? Yeah, so LDI, uh, Leadership Delaware Program, they do uh, Thursday and Friday sessions are the kind of like the majority of it. Then there are a few three-day sessions where you go down a little early Wednesday. So that's what our, our one in May is going to be like. Uh, but it's every month. So what the program entails is every day you'll show up, you'll have a bunch of speakers come talk to you for an hour at a time, a little break in between lunch. And then at the end, we'll do like a fellows recap. We'll talk about uh, what we heard today. And then there are some additional responsibilities that go along with that too. So we started a mentorship program. We work with the uh, uh, Reach Riverside and um, the Teen Warehouse in Wilmington. So we got paired up with uh, a teen from the warehouse our, our mission with them is to help guide them in their challenging years where they're just graduating high school or they or are about to graduate high school, going into college, not too sure what they're going to do. So they kind of lean on us and say, you know, this these are my interests. And we try to help them, you know, guide into a good role, uh, you know, coming out of uh, the Teen Warehouse program, which is amazing. If you've ever heard of uh, Logan Herring and what he's doing down in, yeah, in, yep. in Wilmington, it's pretty yep. pretty outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. When did you really start getting into the role of an athlete? Like, when did you actually start, like, thinking, hey, like, I want to try to make the regionals? Like, do you remember, was yeah. that always on the... No, so I think um, the the aspiration to get to the next level is something that is has always been kind of at the forefront of my mind. Like, not to say I I want to always do better than I'm doing now, but there there are some some moments that I guess define you in in your career as an athlete. Not everybody has enough time to do, um, you know, to spend a lot of time doing those things. So, and most people will tell you that there's a very short shelf life to do it, and if you're not there, you're just not there. So uh, I got you know pretty banged up, got a couple injuries. Um, and then going through like 2014, 15, 16, 17, felt like I was getting better and, uh, the style of how CrossFit was changing, uh, from the, the regional format to the sanctional format now back to quarterfinals and semifinals. And the program has changed so much that it's, it's become increasingly harder to make it, yeah, absolutely. Um, which yeah, I've never made it, but I've always been pushing my own limits and getting better every year. So but the caliber of athlete that we see today, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, these guys are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just continue to get stronger. And now that the pool is kind of open to whoever, we got you know people coming out of professional sports or college, high-level college sports with great prerequisites to be CrossFit athletes with a little bit of coaching. These guys are games bound. And that's, yep. that's really cool to see uh, because I, I have gotten to work with a few athletes that are like that, that are going from college level sports to now high level CrossFit and what they can do is unbelievable. Yeah. So it's so Jeff Sendek and I used to watch the open, you know, if we were together or whatever, just watch the workouts and they always have, you know, the announcement and then the top guys do the workout. And I'm not kidding, dude. Like, and I've never been a part of a CrossFit gym. I, I do do those style workouts, but whatever their score was, if I did 
half of what they did, I, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah. It, which always amazed me because, and I'm about as average of an athlete as, you know, I think compared to the general population, yeah, I think I'm in good shape. But compared to athletes, I'm about probably just below average. And then when you see these guys, literally, if you can do half of what they can do, you're 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 doing you're pretty doing good for pretty yourself. Good. Yeah. yeah, which is just crazy. Yeah. And and then honestly, and I'm not just saying this because you're, but to see some of the scores that you put up, and then to see the guys who make it to the games, I'm just like, yeah, how's that possible? It's cool. Yeah, you try real hard, and then you, you look at the leaderboard, you're like, holy crap, these yeah. guys are unbelievable. Talk to me about this year. So. You did the open, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened after that? So you get to go, you did other workouts after the open. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, this year, I, I've trained really hard this year. Um, I, you know, took a lot on personally, professionally. And basically, the open is, uh, it went from five weeks to three weeks. So I trained through the open, which I'd never done before. Uh, which I found really cool because I feel like I came out of the open fitter than I went into it, which mm. is the, was the goal. Yeah. And then from the open, they took the top 10% and went to quarterfinals. And uh, the quarterfinals weekend was April 8th through the 11th. Our best warrior competition, the Delaware National Guard, was also that weekend. Stellar. LDI that weekend. <laughs> and then uh, my fiance had a, a girl's trip planned, so she went to Nashville that weekend. So being solo, juggling three things, you know, I could sit here and name off excuses all day, but uh, the, the quarterfinals this year was a, a new kind of beast. Like if you've never done that volume of training in a weekend, especially over three days at, for me, it was early mornings and late nights because I had other obligations. Yep. Um, it was a really, really unique challenge to wake up, try to do a very competitive workout, yep. go do a full day, come back, do another one, and then repeat that for three days. So, um, I learned a ton from it and it definitely won't be the last year that I, you know, try as hard as I can to get, to get to that point. Yeah. Cause I think next year will be a little better knowing what I know now, maybe blocking out some time for myself sure. to yeah. not, to knock it out. Um, yeah, it sounds like life probably wasn't on your side for the timing of this one, but what were some of the things you learned? Like anything nutritionally speaking, like you wish you yeah. would have done better or? So I just started working with a nutritionist, um, Emily Wagner. She is down in Maryland and um, I got introduced to her from a few other friends and she's also a member of the guard down in Maryland. So she kind of wrote up a little program for me of what eating would look like during that busy weekend. So she had me add in a lot of extra snacks. Uh, she kind of helped me time meals. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I work with P3 Nutrition a lot. Those guys, you know, I get um, most of my meals for the week. Me and Becky get them, um, you know, kind of delivered to our, our buddy's gym. And then we have those for the week just because cooking is uh, is not my forte. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I looked into them a little bit, P3 Nutrition. Talk to me about, so they're a, a food, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're like a meal delivery service. Meal delivery uh, service. Like a, a catering company, if you will. Uh, so... My buddy Max told me uh, kind of the backstory of the guy who owns it, and he was the chef of the Atlanta Braves, and if you can imagine, baseball players, I'm sure, eat a ton. Yeah. So he was making them meals, and some of the players were asking him, like, yo, dude, I need uh, need some meals to go because I'm absolutely starving on the road, and my wife is here with me, and my kids are here with me. So he started doing that kind of prep service for them, and then I guess when he 
departed the the Braves organization, he decided to do this on his own. He's from the greater Philadelphia area, so he has a lot of different pool, especially in the, the CrossFit space, uh, because there are so many gyms in that area. And I'll tell you what, like if I could plug anything, I would definitely plug P3 because they make really, really good food. And I'll tell you what, we, we, we've been ordering it for a few months now and I don't know if we're ever going to stop. So that's really? definitely an issue yeah, that we yeah. have to talk about financially, <laughs> but definitely, um, definitely something to look into. I want to talk nutrition with you because I consider you a high level athlete, right? Um, me personally, right? I try to get like 80% of my nutrition, right? Which okay. means if I want to eat some ice cream or some cookies or something, like I don't feel bad about it as long as like the overwhelming majority of the day was like good to go. We're talking, you know, clean cuts of meat, fruits, vegetables, good uh, car- source of carbs, all that kind of stuff. When you're, I mean, you're working out a lot, like you train really hard. Um, do you allow, is your diet just 100% clean or are you no, kind of like throwing? No. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't so, think so, but I was just yeah, curious. Yeah, so at, at one point, um, you know, a few years ago, I thought that that's what I had to do. I thought I had to, if I wanted to compete with these, you know, these beasts, these animals, I needed to be dialed in 100% all year round. Right. And what I found is that if you try to do that, you're going to burn yourself out. I don't know if you've ever weighed rice before and chicken but it just gets to be very monotonous and you you end up resenting the process of it because it is very tough. Um, So I think what we have now as a society is people get very vested into this clean eating and they avoid things until they don't, then they just binge and they go nuts. Yep. Where like if you wanna have ice cream or you wanna have a beer or some alcohol, you're not training for anything right now. You're just trying to live your life. Like go live your life, have a cookie, have a donut, do whatever you want. But if you want to be serious about something coming up in your life, just clean it up a little bit more before the event starts, right? And there's going to be people that are like, well, you know, that doesn't work for everybody if you want to be, um, you know, a games athlete or an Olympian. But I'll tell you right now, there are guys that compete at that high-level sport that go out and have some whiskey. They go out and have donuts. And as long as they have a plan and a structure as to why they're doing those things, it's never going to be a problem. But for the everyday athlete and the everyday person, they they need to get um, that, that societal issue away of thinking that if I eat bad, I'm crushing my diet or I'm going to ruin my training. Like training is a very, very low trajectory on a distant horizon. And you you shouldn't be so worried about the one beer or the the one donut you're having. If you're having it every day, you know, you might want to talk to somebody, but if it's just a onesie twosie kind of thing, it, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I had Kate Mackey on the podcast and she is a registered nurse and she works with people in health and nutrition. And that's kind of her philosophy is basically like relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's for me personally, I need to hear that every once in a while. Cause I'm 31. I'm not going to be a professional athlete. Like I love staying in shape and it makes me feel good and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But I've done that before. I've been, in the seat where you're weighing everything out, it becomes stressful and you know, you're not eating things you enjoy and you do become resentful. And I think my performance suffered to be totally honest with you. Cause I was probably in a calorie deficit. Yeah. Trying to keep everything so clean all the time. Right. And that's, you know, working with Emily now, she kind of told me there's going to be days where you need to just eat way more. So like for me personally, it's like 3,700 
calories with 180 grams of protein. That's my like my heavy day yeah. with no real focus on carbs or, or fats. And then for like a moderate day, it's like 3,200 calories with 180 grams of protein. It's a little bit less, but it's still a lot. Yeah. And it's because of the volume of training and the amount of time I'm awake and the activity level in my day. Whereas, you know, another friend of mine who works a construction job or, you know, um, an apprenticeship, they're going to be on their feet all day as opposed to me sitting at a desk. Like I'm not burning as many calories as you, bro. You're, you're going to be walking 12,000, 15,000 steps to Mm -hmm. my three or four. Right. And our, our nutritional needs are going to vary. So I think if any, if anybody's going to take anything from this, go seek out a nutritionist or go seek out, uh, some kind of dietitian to help you at least pave a path and learn what a, a healthy plate looks like, what healthy snacks look like, and then how to balance life. Because at the end of the day, like we're, we are happiness seeking machines. We want to just be as happy as we can all the time. And if eating a piece of chocolate makes you happy, homie, go get some. Go like, for it. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, buddy, my, and the, with the thing with the nutritionist, uh, Matt Germscheid is who I used to work with through OPEX. Uh, you know, I paid him, he was my coach and we worked together for a few years. Yeah. Uh, I don't pay him anymore. We're still friends. Like he's not my coach anymore, but I learned so much from him. Like it doesn't have to be a, you don't have to think of it as like a lifetime thing. It's just, you know, learn from people and then kind of move on. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. And that's exactly what I did with, uh, the nutritionist I worked with beforehand, Katie, uh, she kind of just helped me get away from the fact of like, you need to be dialed in 24 seven. Um, so she helped me learn like what portion sizes looked like, cause I, I was kind of ignorant to it myself. Um, and then being able to explain that to my clients makes a huge difference yeah. because I have a better understanding of why people get so wrapped around the edges of, you know, six ounces of this and 12 ounces of this and what the serving size looks like and how I should, you know, organize my plate and organize my day and my week and my year. Yep. So for me personally, uh, when it really started to click was not worrying about, I just got really in tune with how food makes me feel. You know what I mean? So no, I've never done like an allergy test or anything like that, but I know myself well enough now to, you know, certain things make me feel bloated. I don't want to eat this. Uh, and just getting in touch with that, but I'll crush a pint of ice cream every single You know what I mean? Same. Like whatever, yeah, dude. Me too. Like, <laughs> Halo Top or Ben and Jerry's, I don't care. It's just, it's going down. I like, uh, man, I can't remember the name of it, but Ben and Jerry's is the way to go. Yeah. At what point did you make the decision to open your own gym and start that process? Because that's a huge endeavor. Yeah, so I have two business partners uh, who actually started before I got involved. So Tom and Dwayne uh, started CrossFit Reconstructed at the Hocats and Pal Center. Uh, they kind of branched off from what used to be CrossFit Riverfront West. So they had a, a CrossFit Riverfront down at the Pal Center. And, you know, to be honest, it just, it wasn't what they wanted um, from a, I guess, a management or project yeah. management standpoint. So Tom just kind of took the reins and said, well, if you don't want this, I'll take it over. And he did. So he kind of started running classes out of the Pal Center. And then about a year after doing that, they moved across the street to where we are now at uh, 7288 Lancaster Pike, right across from Doc's Meat Market. And um, we've been there ever since. And I got hooked up with Tom um, right around 2014, 2015 time. I wanted to open up my own gym. And I had all my you know T's crossed and I's dotted. And before I went to sign the, the mortgage, paperwork to this building and i think the building was like in the middle of 
maybe Newport, like wasn't really the best area. Yeah. And I just kind of was scrambling to find something. Tom invited me over and he said, yo dude, like, let's just come have dinner. Let's talk about it. I heard what you're doing. I just want to chat. So I went to his house and he just basically said, Hey, like we have a little ownership option available. If you would rather drop what you're doing and come work with us. And I've known Tom for years. We actually, he was in Afghanistan at the same time I was uh, uh-huh. with the Delaware air guard. So we had crossed paths before and, uh, you know, I, I trust Tom wholeheartedly and he's been a great partner ever since. And, and, you know, same with Dwayne. So I decided, you know, drop what I was doing, um, get rid of the sole proprietorship idea and go with the partnership. And it's been pretty great ever since. Like, you know, we've struggled for sure, but outside of COVID, we're definitely, you know, on the way back up and up. So it's, it's definitely good times. Do you guys have established roles amongst yourselves? Like, are you like the coach, are you like the head coach and then they're doing other things or? Yeah. So, um, Dwayne, Dwayne's in charge of like marketing apparel. Um, and then a little bit behind the scenes stuff. Tom is really the, the meat and potatoes of the business. He really makes a lot of the things that, you know, people don't want to do happen. Uh, he works a lot with, uh, the insurance companies, the landlords, uh, you know, yeah. the behind the scenes stuff that, yep. You know, maybe we just aren't too interested in doing. Uh, I take care of programming and, um, you know, pretty much run the, uh, the the daytime stuff when I am there. But we also have uh, Stephanie McConnell, and she kind of got involved with us about a year and a half ago. And she, along with, uh, with Gretchen, have really made a difference in how much time they spend there and how much effort they put into the place. So without the entire you know, cog system of all of us working together, I don't think we'd be successful. Yeah. And I think that that kind of takes me back to like the, the teamwork or leadership role. Like we have Tom, me, Dwayne, Steph and Gretchen, and we all have our own little pieces to the puzzle. Um, and we really do a good job of communicating now because we've had some bad eggs in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that we've kind of cleaned up and, and got it back together, it's a well-oiled machine and we, we talk about it all the time. It just kind of runs itself at this point. Yeah. And uh, we work together because I, I have military training. Tom has military training. He's still in the, in the air guard. Dwayne runs the ski bum. He does a lot of things behind the scene with them. So in wintertime, he's busy. Gretchen is uh, working with Woodside's farms uh, creamery. So yeah. she's out of time. Steph works another coaching job. So she's out sometimes and, and together we just make it work. So yeah. I, I think it's a really good team, a little good atmosphere. A couple of things. And I'm sure, you know, you got this from the military, but, and something that has probably helped you as a leader and business owner, attention to detail, I'm sure has like really, that's so important. It's gotta be important. But also the teamwork thing you talked about, and it's crucial with leadership. You don't need to be an expert at everything. And I think if you tried to do that, you'd probably fail. When it comes Absolutely. to like just being sole owner of a CrossFit gym and literally trying to do everything, you'd probably lose your fucking mind. Yeah. It's hard, I'm sure. I yeah. can't imagine doing everything that Tom does, everything that I do, everything that Dwayne does, Steph does, Gretchen does by yourself. And have a life outside of Yeah, I don't there. think you would. No. I don't think you would. And I think uh, you, you would burn out a lot faster than than those who you know have a, a role structure like we do. Yeah, and I think because you're in charge of programming, you probably crush that. You know what I mean? Because you don't have to worry about the insurance companies. You don't have to worry about marketing and apparel and all that bullshit. Yeah, so we, um, you know, with how busy we all are, um, there was a point where we were writing every single piece of programming, every single rep, every single you know day to the to the warm up, and recently, probably within the last year, we started following CrossFit Mayhem, um, and then kind of just tweaking it to 
our our members in our gym. Yeah. There's days where we'll we'll change it completely a little bit, uh, but for the most part, we like the structure of having someone else kind of outsource the movements and the the time domains and us being able to kind of cater it to our athletes. It makes it a lot less stressful because if you know if you're out there listening, you've written your own program. You know what I'm talking about. It's tough. Um, not to say that I don't enjoy programming, but it does. It is like a, another full time job. So yeah. on top of coaching, it would be a, you know a lot. I was stalking out your Instagram last night because you know just getting background information. I saw you had a picture with is it Katrin David's daughter and yeah. her what's what's his name Ben Ben Bergeron. Yeah, he's a he's a giant in the industry when it comes to programming. Yeah, how how that come to be? So 2015. Um, I had one of my clients that I was training. He, you know, he invested a lot of time, effort, and money into into me, and I really credit a lot of, um, you know, what I know now as to the opportunities that he afforded me. So thank you, Mr. Wagner. But um, so I went to a business of excellence seminar in Jacksonville, Florida, by Ben Bergeron, and it was basically, I think, you know, the box seminar. How do you run a successful affiliate? What does it look like? And this is when, you know, it was in the boom of, of CrossFit. So I really wanted to understand if I was going to take that route, what it would look like. So I met him uh, first time down there. And then, you know, simultaneously wearing an athlete hat, I went to a training camp. And it was the very first um, comp train training camp in at CrossFit New England in um, Natick, Massachusetts. So the picture was from the training camp. Mm-hmm that weekend and between those two sessions with Ben and a few times going up and visiting across New England and having the interactions I had with him um, you know I really have taken a lot from who he is and what he does and and put it into my own life and my own structure and my own gym because some of the the principles that he has are unbeatable like that guy knows what he's doing yeah 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 it's cool and I saw that picture and you know and I'm loosely affiliated with crossfit and i know who he is so i was like oh okay yeah um i want to talk about the your you know the other hat you wear in the guard with the army uh this new pt test yeah the acft the army combat fitness test i mean forever mile and a half run push-up sit-ups right yeah where did this new like i'm sure this has been in the works for a while but where did this come to be because now this is a totally different it seems just looking on the outside, it seems to be more practical, but I don't know. So 1982 was this beginning of the APFT, the Army Physical Fitness Test, and that was two miles of running, uh, two minutes push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups. And what they found was they're only working in the frontal plane, so they're just moving forward and backward constantly. They're not working side to side. They're not doing rotational, right? So the idea behind a new fitness test has been, um, you know, in production for a long time. Yeah, since the 80s? So, 80s when it, this one started. But oh, okay. the ACFT kind of came online within the last five years where they were seeing a ton of injuries from not only basic trainees, but people that first get to their, their units. And the bulk of the injuries were like femoral neck fractures, so hip injuries, yep. um, you know, what are those foot fractures? Um little hairline fractures in your feet uh, mm-hmm. from rucking or running a little too much when you're not conditioned to it. So the army is spending a ton of money rehabbing these people because they come in, they 
you know, they get paid and then they can't do anything. So they're, they're kind of worthless to the army. Right. But the army still has to pay them because that's how it goes. So they were spending a lot of money uh, into the VA for people that would come into basic training and just leave immediately. So they didn't really haven't contributed much to the actual functioning of the army, but now we're paying them millions of dollars to just exist now. Right. Because of what the army did to them. Yep. So they wanted to tr change kind of the culture, the fitness culture of the army to be focused on injury prevention. And uh, part of that would be increased in physical training and an increase in physical training kind of brought us down the line of we need to learn more about physical training and what actually happens to soldiers if they were to get to a, a level of quote unquote peak performance. Peak performance in the military would be passing your PT test, mm. right? So the ACFT is now a six event test, which encompasses a lot more of the general physical skills that we need as soldiers or as athletes. So what we're looking at now is a more total test with strength being tested, agility being tested, aerobic anaerobic capacity being tested, um, muscular endurance, you name it. Everything is being, uh, you know, put into the forefront of training now. And because of that, we are able to, at least in the, the role that I'm in, is to try and shift the mindset of what training looks like in the military. So it used to be I could drink a six pack on Friday night, uh, I'd stay up till 2 a.m. and I'd get to drill at five yep. and I would, you know, crush my minimums and, you know, go sleep in the truck. But, <laughs> um, but that on paper, I was a passing soldier. Yeah. Right. You can't do that now. If you aren't training properly, you will not pass. Mm. It's not a hard test to pass if you train. To max, it's very tough. The 600 level people that are that are hitting those numbers, that's unbelievable. Those numbers are, if you get max this test, you're an incredible athlete. Yeah. Um, are you in the 600s? I, I passed it once. Yeah, I did, I did 600 <laughs> one time. But um, there's a bunch of people that did it way before me. So I got to kind of cheat off of them. Yeah. So... But what we're seeing now is now we can put that into our briefings and say to our senior leadership, we need X, Y, and Z to make sure that our soldiers can pass this test. So what we're doing in Delaware is we've revamped the 13 armories to now have, soon to have, probably early June, full operational brand new gyms from powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. We've got rowers, bikes, treadmills, ski ergs, everything's coming into these armories. So now when you walk into the drill floor, you don't just see an empty space, you see a fully functioning gym and it's gonna be in the forefront of your mind. So unit commanders now have the ability to say, we're gonna show up a few minutes early and we're gonna do squad level PT. Uh, we're gonna do team level PT. There is an actual need to do that now um, because at least in the guard, we have a lot of things to juggle. Uh, we call it our mission essential task list, our metal. And our metal training, is very tough to fit into two days a month, okay? Especially when we had DC missions this year, we yeah. had riots, we had COVID. We didn't really get to do our metal task list at the times we were supposed to do it. So now we're trying to cram in administrative tasks on top of you know all that metal training. And what this is gonna add in is another level of that, which yes, it's gonna be a headache, but the benefit of it is going to be so much greater because the quality of soldier physically that you're going to get out of a little bit of training is going to be a much better soldier. Yeah.
How long has this been? Is this the official test now? Like there's no more two-mile run push-up sit-ups or so, is that still? Yeah, so the, the ACFT is six events. It's You have a three-repetition max deadlift, which is with a hex bar. Um, we go from that to a standing power throw. It's a 10-pound medicine ball thrown reverse for distance. Hand-release push-up, so chest to the ground, hands out into a, what they call the arm extension protocol. Your arms reach out to the sides, bring your hands back in, and then, and then press away again. Then we have an event called the sprint drag carry, which is kind of like a combat simulation. Uh, you go through uh, dragging a sled, uh, lateral shuffles, sprinting, kettlebell carries, all for time. Uh, the leg tuck. The leg tuck is kind of like a bastardized knees to elbow, so it's a mixed grip, touch your knees to your elbows. And then the interim of training, at least for this year, which I, I'm assuming it's going to go for a little bit longer, if you can't do a leg tuck, you can plank. So mm. down on your elbows, you can plank for two minutes and nine seconds for a, a minimum passing score. And then once you're done all that, then you go run the two-mile run. So they kept the two miles in there, oh. which makes it a pretty long endurance test. And uh, that's kind of another thing that we're we're pushing to the units is that don't just train for the deadlift. Don't just train for the leg tuck. You got to put it all together. endurance, yeah. Because in 60 to 90 minutes, that is your test. And if you're not ready to run two miles at the 45-minute mark, you're in trouble. And I know what that feels like. You yeah. might crush each event individually. Yeah. String them all together. Good it's luck a lot to you. different, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the official test now. Yeah. So this is ACFT 3.0, um, 2.0, and 1.0. Where the 1.0 had a different scoring structure, the 2.0 had a different scoring structure, and this now has a light tuck and a different scoring structure. So gotcha. they are evolving it with the feedback that they're getting from the units, which is nice to see, uh, being as I saw it from its infancy. So I know that they're trying to make it work, but the the mess up or the hiccup that we have in the Delaware guard personally is logistics is, is tough because yeah. it's a lot of equipment. Yep. But we're, we're working through that hurdle. I'm curious what the data looks like, right? Because the, this was all came to fruition because of injuries. And I'm curious, it just hasn't, it hasn't really been in effect for that long, but I'm curious, like are injuries going down? Like, is that, I don't yeah, know if so, they have the data on that yet. So that's what we, our next kind of evolution of this program is H2F. So H2F is the Holistic Health to Fitness Program. And what H2F encompasses is physical readiness, mental readiness, spiritual readiness, emotional readiness, sleep, and uh, nutrition. I don't know if I said that or not. But overall in that blanket, you'll basically cover everything that a soldier would go through um, and what they need. So they're trying to you know, like I said earlier, change the culture of what we see in the, in the military and through tracking devices like the whoop or, uh, uh, Fitbit, Apple watch garments, we can end up putting that data into a centralized database and then get good readouts of what, what it is we're really looking at. So our hope for the Delaware guard is to partner with a couple of these entities and then actually have a centralized database where you can say our 1600 soldiers are, you know, passing at this level, yep. this many people fail the leg tucks, this many people sleep less than six hours a night. And those metrics we can work with. Uh, I know Whoop did a study with Army Alaska. And mm -hmm. in that study, they found that, you know, the people that are getting the most banged up are not the infantrymen. They're the support staff, the people that are behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. And most of what Delaware is as a, as a state 
is support staff. We're majority signal state, so communications is a big deal for us. Not many people are out on the front lines, right? Aviation does a lot, the MP company does a lot, but we have another 12 to 1400 soldiers outside of that number that are behind the scenes, making sure that everything we have is operational. Those soldiers are getting burnt out. So what does the data look like for them and how can we get that uh, to be a little more optimized? Yeah. What do you do for stress management? Other than working out, obviously you got a lot of things going on, but uh, I can't imagine the amount of stress that you do have, but you seem to be a, a fully functioning individual. So. Yeah, I, I do my best. Um, so personally, I, I enjoy a good round of golf and uh, getting out walking 18 holes is probably one of my favorite things to do. Cool. Um, outside of that, I've recently found my love for swimming again. So get back in the pool. Uh, it's a little low intensity. Uh, I don't really go too crazy in the pool, maybe 10 to 30 minutes, uh, and that'll be the whole training day. Uh, and then really... Since I've been wearing uh, the Whoop, I've gotten to see what my sleep looks like. So going to bed a little earlier, kind of putting the phone down before bed, um, not really watching too much TV, not really eating crazy before bed. And then uh, morning routine, wake up, take the dog for a small walk, and things like that to just kind of accumulate into de-stressing. Because I know it's, um, it's always like... I need one thing to just like, I need to go on a vacation to, to get my stress level down. And what you're really doing is you're just kind of compressing it until you get back and then it's just full throttle again. So I think having little things built into your day definitely helps maintain and manage your stress. Cause when you're pissed off, I mean, it's really hard to get you to calm down unless you just don't get to that point. Right. And I know that, um, you know, I'm not the most <laughs> even kill all the time, but there are moments where, I like to just get out, walk around, or you know, hit the range and and go from there. Came back, uh, you know, originally you, early on in the conversation, you were talking about mental toughness, and it's not just about fitness; it's about having the discipline to do those little things. And I think routine is really important for a lot of people. Like you said, you really just kind of went through a routine of yours: wake up, take dog for a little walk, um, you know, get your workout and all that kind of stuff. If you deviate from that, right, you you are going to start having problems. Yeah. Right. If if you're not it's tough with people who work shift work. Like I work shift work. I know a lot of guys do with not going to bed at the same time. Yeah. Becky does. She works nights. Yeah. And even so I just know me personally, because of that, my other shit's got to be dialed in. Like if I'm on midnights and I know my circadian rhythm and my sleep's going to be all jacked up, well, guess what? Everything else is going to be tight mm -hmm. because I can't, I don't have that lateral movement anymore of, right. I can let this go. I can let this go. Yeah. Um, that's really important for people. The whoop strap. How long have you been wearing that? So uh, Beck got it for me for Christmas, and I've worn it every day since. So it's probably about 150 days now. You like something it? Something like that. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Yeah, cause I'm a big data guy, so I, I like to see where my workouts take me, what my heart rate looks like. And I never really put a lot of emphasis into that, but now I'm using it more for learning about my own self when I'm training. So I'll, I'll keep the heart rate monitor up. Uh, while I'm training and I know like, Hey, if I'm at 180 heart rate, like this is, you know, RPE rate of perceived exertion is very high right now, where if I see it at like 140, 150, I'm like, all right, you can push a little bit more. Uh, you can, you know, you can breathe a little heavier. So I think it's definitely made a big deal with that. The other thing is that it, it'll give you, um, your recovery score. So how well recovered you are from the day before a couple days before. And when you wake up in the red, so red, red, yellow, green, you know, you feel like dog shit yeah. and it's hard for you to get the, the motivation or even just 
to get up and do something. So sometimes it, it kind of forces a day of rest on you when otherwise you might have done the old school style of, I'm just going to push through because, you know, to suck it up, tough it up, man. Yep. You sound like Jocko. Yeah. Jocko says. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the whoop goes off heart rate variability, if I'm not mistaken, which is a very good indicator yeah. of, you know, your recovery level and all that kind of stuff. I've always been, I've never worn, I, I shouldn't say that. When I was doing the Iron Man stuff, I did have a Garmin watch, uh, chest strap. I, I did all that kind of stuff. The only thing for me personally that I don't like is I felt like, I relied too much on the technology to tell me how I was feeling Yeah. rather than just learning my own. Like if it told me, Hey, your recovery is not too good today. I would just believe it Yeah. and kind of lay low that day. And, and I don't know, I just personally didn't like that, but yeah. it's different for everybody. Yeah. So sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, you know, and there are days where you're like, well, I need to fit this in or else I'm not, you know, I can't do it the next day or I won't have time or whatever it may be. Um, but I think, there are some times where if the training piece allows you to look at something, it might be beneficial. Yep. There are other training pieces where it's not going to allow it, where it's just fast and furious and you're not going to have time to sit there and do the calculations in your head. Like, well, if I rest a minute, I can get my heart rate back down to 110 and yeah. you don't have the time to do that. You just got to kind of go. Yep. So I think it's a give and take and you can't rely solely on it. You definitely mm -hmm. have to go off feel like you said. Yeah, there's definitely a dichotomy to it. This um, rumble at the rudder. Yeah. What's the deal with that? So the Rumble at the Rudder, um, back a few years back, I uh, sat down at a table with Andrew McGovern, Jeff Scarborough, and myself, and we we basically created this event at the beach. We wanted to do CrossFit uh, at the Starbird. Oh, so you guys created this? We did, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, it turned into what it is today, where CrossFit Wheelhouse, Andrew uh, McGovern, and Shane Siri, the, they're putting it on this year for us. Uh, but the the benefit this year is going to be going towards the Green Bray project. And, and really the cool thing that they did this year was not only did they say that 100% of the proceeds are going to the Green Bray project, but they also set a goal for each uh, each team to raise 300 bucks. So, hey, this is going to be a fun competition. You know, there are going to be a winner. There are going to be losers. But at the end of the day, we're all doing this to benefit a good cause, yeah. uh, which is the Green Bray project. Talk to me about the Green Bray project. So uh, Adam Kramer um, and Justin Downen, these guys are some of the coolest dudes I've ever met. Um, they work tirelessly uh, with the kids, um, with the Green Bray Project kids in the inner cities. And what they're doing is they're basically, they've created a mentorship program to emulate uh, or to replicate what the Army Green Berets do, which is work by, with, and through uh, you know, host nations. So with what they're doing is they're in the trenches with these kids. They're taking them and they're showing them, you know, gentlemanly task or, uh, you, know, you know, however it is that they're, um, that they're going through and, and teaching these guys. But they're also taking them on fun trips and they're, they're teaching them and experiencing life with them. And what we've seen, what I've seen sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in is most of the kids that go through the program come out as highly functioning, well-respectable and respected uh, adults. And these guys are going to be set up for, for life. And if we really want to see change happen, it has to start with the kids. And that's kind of what their their motto is, right? They work really hard to make sure that these kids that don't have the, the best opportunities get the best learning experiences and get some of those opportunities that they might have otherwise not had. 
Yeah, you nailed it because they really probably would not have had that. I think a lot of people in policing can relate to that. And we see it all the time. Um, there was, uh, I clicked on your donation link yesterday and I, there was like a three-minute video on the Green Bray Project. And one of the quotes at the end was, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men, which is spot on. Yeah. Started me young, right? Because yeah. they're Powerful. not, they're probably not going to get those experiences unless somebody steps in. Yeah. And I don't even, it's not the parents' fault. I mean, it's, we're talking generational issues here. But um, so are you except I did click on the donation page. I br- briefly read through it. Like, how can people donate to this? Um, so there's a link in my uh, Instagram bio. Um, I'll also I'll send it to you so you have it uh, yeah, post on there. Yep. But uh, in the two days that I started asking for donations, I think we raised almost 1800 bucks just for me personally, but the, the total page is up to about six grand. Yeah. I saw that. So yeah. that's pretty awesome. And, uh, I think they have a goal of hitting 20,000. 20. So I'm going to really try to help them get to that point. I think we're, we're pretty close. Yeah. Um, I got to diverge real quick, but what are some things that are like on the horizon for you, right? You have so many things going on. Like what is your, what's your mission right now? Like what are you trying to work towards in the future? So uh, the most important thing to me coming up is going to be my wedding. It's uh, November 12th of 2022, so we got a while away. Um, but up until that point and afterwards, my, I talk to my friend Chris about this every single day, is do the day at, you know as well as we can every single day. And they're not always going to be good. But I think we are so wrapped into the, the love for the process of like wake up, you know, handle life shit, train hard and be a good dude and if we can do that every single day like some good things are going to happen uh there's going to be some great you know life moments along the way but i think really i stopped worrying about so much of what happened you know as a kid or in the past and what i'm worried about in the future and really focus on you know this week today and, and try to make that the best time that we can yeah, that's something uh, you hear. That's a common theme with a couple guys that I really follow just for inspirational purposes. I read their books like David Goggins, Shaka Willink, Eric Thomas, like all these guys. That's such a central focus for them is like not even on the day, really, sometimes just focus on like the next few hours you have, like crush the next few hours. And then because I've done that, dude, I've I've been a worry wart where it's like, ah, I'm worried about this three days from now. And that gets very uh I, you get burnt out yeah. and it's really stressful Yeah, and it's, there's no point in doing it because no. you can't control what's going to, I mean, you can't control things, but worrying about something a week from now. Right. If you're planning something, absolutely. You know, you gotta, you gotta make sure your ducks are in a row, but if it's, you know, what am I going to eat for breakfast on Monday morning and it's Monday the week before, why are you worried about that? Yeah. Um, and that's a very dumb example, but people yeah, do, they, they do worry about things that, are so far outside of their control that, you know, you're just going to end up driving yourself crazy. Yeah. I promised Brian Grant I would bring this up, but do you ever think you'll get back in the jujitsu? <laughs> yeah, Brian, I'll come back. <laughs> um, I Honestly, I love jujitsu. I think I actually had a conversation with uh, one of our members recently about jujitsu and especially jujitsu for, for kids. Uh, they, they said that a couple kids got into, you know, kids get into fights, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't have any kids myself, but you know, I hear it from people all the time that, you know, my kid did this or whatever. And jujitsu is a cool way to introduce not fighting really. And more like conflict, um, you know, management, maybe conflict resolution, conflict resolution. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, it's a really cool aspect of that. Not only that, but some of really cool dudes do jujitsu. So the conversations you have 
while rolling or after rolling or, you know, off the mat are just as good as the time spent on the mat. Right. And I, I really think that the jujitsu community and the, the CrossFit community kind of, they have the same uh, mentality and they have the same principles where it's like, we work hard, we play hard and you know, the underlying thing isn't to be the best at jujitsu or the best at CrossFit. It's to be a really good person and to go do good in the world. Right. Yep. I think it's a sense of community. I think CrossFit Absolutely. and jujitsu both have do a really good job at that, like sense of community. And it's funny, right? Cause it's not about being the best cause I suck. I really do. Like I'm awful. Uh, but I love going. Like I get so excited to go and basically get my ass kicked. Yeah. But, um, it's just fun. Like the group of guys, like I, I've only been going to the riverfront for a couple months now. Um, and I feel uh, like fairly close with a couple of those guys cause they're all the time and, right. and they're genuine too, right? Yeah. They, you know, nice they're not, people. You know, blowing smoke up your ass. No, not at all. Let me ask you this. We've been talking for a little over an hour now. Something I always ask everybody, but what do you want people to take away, uh, from our conversation today? Hmm. Honestly, I, I love the message of the daily effort. Uh, I think that if you have any aspirations to do anything, whether it be uh, elite military training or high level competitions or your first 5k, um, it starts with what you do and the choices that you make today. So if you can do your best to, you know, get out of bed and, and do the hard training sessions, even when you don't want to, you're going to see a vast improvement in your performance your mood, your energy levels, um, and all that. If you just start, um, you know, where you're at, don't worry about where I'm at. Don't worry about where they are. You need to focus on you. Right. And it, it sounds corny. It sounds cliche, but we're all at different levels and we're all on different journeys. So wherever you're at today is where you're at today. You're not going to be where you want to be tomorrow, but if you start working towards it, you're definitely going to have you know, the leg up on your competition or the other people that are just going to sit back on their couch and enjoy Netflix and Doritos. So yeah, start today, right? You don't have to have all the resources. You don't have to have everything perfect, right? You don't, if you wait for things to be perfect, it's never going to happen. Never. Then a month goes by, then three months goes by, and then a year goes by and you're literally in the same exact spot that you started out at. Yeah. Yeah. Crush the day. Love it. All right, Steve. Thanks, brother. Cool, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. All right, everyone. That wraps up episode number 11 with Mr. Steve Bart. Great conversation today. This is, again, this is why I love doing podcasts because Steve and I really clicked on a lot of different topics. We have very similar viewpoints on things and he's really living a lifestyle of mentorship, leadership, health and wellness. He's getting it done and he still has so much more to offer. That's, that's the crazy part. Like I said in the beginning, Steve's got that event coming up July 17th, Rumble at the Rudder fundraise opportunity with the Green Beret Project, please consider donating to that. I'll make sure there's links in social media. Otherwise, just utilize Google. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, if you learn something, share something. Thank you.